0: I think one of the most difficult things when you're in a HR position is that you have built this trust with employees and there's a certain amount of expected confidentiality there which you want to respect but I think one of the most important things to teach especially HR teams is when that boundary can be crossed in order to protect someone's mental health getting worse.
1: Hello there and welcome to Mental Health at Work, the podcast where company leaders and employees reveal the mental health stories that shaped how they think about work and themselves. This week, Mice chatting with Oliva's very own head of talent acquisition, Bridie Slater, who reveals how being honest about her personal struggles transformed her relationship with her team and how she's learning to fight her inner imposter here at Oliva.
2: How are you? I'm good, thank you. How are you? I'm very good. Thank you so much for your time. It's such a big pleasure to have you here in the podcast. I always like to start with like two cents about you, perhaps like your background and what are you doing now at Oliva and previously at Travel Perk and I'll let you introduce yourself. No one can do it better than yourself.
0: So yeah, I'm Brady. I've been living here in Barcelona for three years now. I started off my career in kind of big corporations, so General Electric and Expedia, and boomeranged actually between the two, and then moved to the startup world at Travel Perk a few years ago and was part of their hyper growth over the last few years, before taking some time off and and recharging for a few months. And then I joined Oliva this year as head of talent acquisition. So I'm responsible for building the team that, that goes on to build a product that helps people all over the world.
2: So you come from the corp world and then you switched to the startup world. Do you see any differences in terms of mental health at work there?
0: I think when you think about big corporations, so to put it in perspective, I joined General Electric when they were 360,000 people. So huge company (laughs) and you've got lots of different things to cater for there in terms of benefits. So definitely from how you deal with mental health, it's more segmented into the different regions, the different countries, and every region and country is at their own kind of phase on the journey. Some are way ahead of the curve and some are way behind. And what that means is that employees get very different experiences depending on when they're located which can be difficult because obviously, especially from a work side, the stress is the same and the experience is very different. When I was at Expedia, there were about 20,000 people and they had got a lot in place before a lot of companies had even thought about it. And I think that just goes to show that you don't need to wait for it to become a need until you start looking into these things. You can be proactive rather than reactive in any company but it's definitely easier in those bigger companies for it to maybe slip under the carpet and especially as a HR professional here in startups you see the people you work with you see the people you hire you see the employees that you're the business partner for all the time you know who they are and so it's very difficult to remove yourself from that situation and maybe from a personal perspective you feel more involved whether that means more gets done I don't know but it definitely means that you feel more accountable for the the state of the employee's health.
2: Perhaps this is an assumption, but I guess when you're working in a company that are so many people involved, you don't feel like you're a part of making the company grow more directly than in a startup where you feel more like your own business. If that is the case, how does that translate or relate into the mental health?
0: Yeah, I think there's the ability to kind of make an impact. And so in in smaller companies and startup environments, the ability to have an impact is higher for the company on the employees' lives. And the process of getting approvals, finding a solution is slightly easier with less people. And I think you can also recognise and visualise and actually see the impact of of putting mental health policies, tools, uh, help in place or running sessions. And also it's really a lot easier to get feedback from your employees and what they need. And also I think as a HR professional, you can build for the needs rather than kind of deploy and then work out if it's the right thing so you can actually do some user research before you go and build the initiatives that are wrong or or aren't quite right and i think it's also easier to pivot rather than having to sign you know contracts for years when you've got a small team they tend to be very open to trying new tools trying new ways of working trying new methods of sharing And you can test and learn as you go. Does it work? Is it helping? If it's not helping, let's pivot. Let's look at something else.
2: What were the main mental health strategies or implementations that you've done in the past? Yeah, so
0: I started getting more involved in this side of things just before the pandemic. I started managing a team at that point. So about three months before the pandemic. And I think that's when for for me, it started to become apparent how deep the issues can go and how widespread across a business they can be. Obviously, as a as a leader of a team, you, you have people you're responsible for and you feel a duty of care. And I also was an interim HR business partner um, for that year as well. So I was exposed to everything that was going on within the people that I was looking after and their lives and especially during a pandemic when there was so much going on and and so much heightened sensitivities there, it really meant that that the solutions that maybe had been used and tried and tested were no longer possible. You know, you couldn't just send someone to a doctor, you couldn't just send someone to your private health insurance because they often didn't have access to the right people. And a lot of people were working remotely. And So it kind of had to rethink, and, and to be honest, I, I think the reality was it almost had to get worse before it got better. We were waiting, would this pandemic go, would it stay? And then when you really had to think about, right, okay, we need to put solutions in now because this is not going away and, and people are getting worse. So I think because of a, a few cases, it was then a case of really re-evaluating really how you offer the solutions and making sure that that you're thinking of it with the process of people are working remotely, they're in lockdowns, and actually now the crossover between work and life is, there isn't one, you know, it's all one thing altogether now.
2: So for you, how was it managing a team and all of a sudden you didn't have like a long time to build foundations with your team and not all of a sudden you're having a lockdown and pandemic and how, how did you feel as a manager?
0: The pressure to make sure that people were being able to prioritize their mental health over their work was really high really really high most of my team were based in in spain so the lockdowns in spain were very severe and a lot of them were living on their own it was a really really difficult situation to be in and on top of that i was actually back in the uk with my family so i was in a much better situation and obviously it was more difficult for me to empathize when i i was surrounded by people i loved so I, i knew i was in a much better scenario and also, I felt like people suddenly had the, the pressure to share because they would maybe have things that were going on in their lives that they wouldn't have wanted to have to share with people at work. But given the situation, it was something that that we were having to share to be more open and show our vulnerabilities. And for a lot of people, including myself, that's not comfortable. You know, you have to build credibility and trust. So that process was kind of expedited. And yet it's more difficult to do that remotely.
2: Feel free to not answer if you're not comfortable, but can you share one of those things that you share with your team that perhaps you never thought you would share in another like situation?
0: Yeah, funnily enough, probably probably not, and it was a in hindsight it was a mistake not to have done. I think I very much thought that you know I had to keep the team afloat and keep them going, and therefore it stopped me from sharing a lot. I learned a lot from that and I would do it very differently now. And it kind of got to a point where I was struggling a lot, probably nearly a year later after the pandemic started before I had to start opening up to the team to really help them understand what was going on. And actually, if I had done that a year before, I think it would have helped myself cope. I think it would have helped the team cope. And I think between all of us, we would have got a sense of credibility but at that stage, I, I definitely felt like I had to be the strong one. And probably all I did was expose it more within the team. Mm-hmm. And it was kind of like nag- navigating the perfect storm. That's how I describe it <laughs> with all these different events going on.
2: It's crazy how many times we think that showing ourselves as a strong person means not sharing vulnerabilities, whether... Actually, when you open up and you share vulnerabilities, people see you very strong because you're able to be in one piece and still share and open up. And you're you're saying that if you could, you would have done it before. So what was the impact in the team once you opened up?
0: I think one thing I realised is that I'm not as good as hiding things as I thought, and they were already fairly aware. So, you know, you start to build an appreciation for the support that you have around you and realise that that's a two-way thing, you know, the duty of care goes both ways. And also, I think for the team, it allowed them to look at how we support each other that can be easy when you're in fast-paced startups to forget those kind of well-being check-ins that you have and really focus just on the here and now whereas actually those routines can build up a real rapport within the team and it can mean that people use it to support each other and not just lead it to to team member so I think the, the impact of me opening up was other people started to talk to one another for me the impact was also that I realized that I was actually putting the team at risk by leaving us so exposed, by putting so much pressure on myself that that I would have got to breaking point versus actually people were happy to share the load. They wanted to step up. They didn't want to see this and they were aware of it. Um, and so that was definitely a big learning. But I think another thing for the team was just that by this point, we'd been working together for a few years. You know, we knew each other incredibly well, that we had people from all over the world who were in this situation where no one was really very close to their, their family because of the pandemic. So we were kind of all in it together. And that sense of team just, just kind of grew from the start of last year onwards. And we really started to see, you know, the fruits of it, not just in, in work, but also, you know, the relationships that have gone on to be made since then.
2: How did you realize that you were burning out?
0: When I look back, it was the changes in my behaviour from what you would see yourself as normal. Silly things like not making time to even stop and have lunch or, you know, having a shake instead. Like, you know, things that weren't healthy patterns in your life. But as well as, as a real genuine anxiety about what the next day could hold. A fear about letting the team down around me. And towards the end, it was... It was almost like an addiction to work, but in an unproductive way. And it was just getting to a point where I remember thinking to myself, like, I I don't care what happens next. I just need to know there's an end to this. And that was where, for me, the, the crucial point was... I was lucky I had a really supportive partner who picked up on these signs and, you know, was kind of pushing them in front of me to to make me realise it was a problem. It got to the point where I just kind of went and I said, I just need to have this as an end. Like, I can't do this. I need to go. There's nothing wrong with the company. There's nothing wrong with the job. But I just need to know this is going to end. This feeling is going to end.
2: What were your physical symptoms you were explaining
0: the, the week that I'd had this turning point, I just remember logging off on the Friday and I took my dog down the road and, and I just couldn't physically move. I felt physically sick and I had to call my partner to come down the street and help me get home. And I couldn't possibly believe that this was something that was being caused by stress or, or mental health. I, I For me, it, was, it had to have been a physical reason. It couldn't have been connected to the mind. So um, yeah, I think the pile up had just kind of exploded into to lots of different reactions but definitely the the physical side really 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 surprised me and and yeah not not a nice feeling when you have to call someone you love and say like i just think you need to come outside and take me home
2: must be very scary to all of the sudden feel paralyzed because of a mental condition and then it's affecting your body and the power of the mind can do things
0: that are very scary definitely and and i think also something that struck home for me was that i kept comparing myself to others and thinking there was people in far worse situations than what i was in and i think that's uh you know that doesn't help you and and also everything's in context you can't compare one one to another sometimes
2: yeah i think it's a way of that we usually neglect ourselves by saying other people are worse than Me, right? And then we don't allow ourselves to contact with what is happening to us. It's almost like we don't deserve because other people are worse, whether it actually is different and everyone has the right to be in pain or yeah, I, I don't or... know if
0: it's a trait of people in HR but we definitely kind of <laughs> like to, to preach but not listen to ourselves so you know I, I'd seen other people in my scenario in my shoes before and, and definitely I hadn't looked at them with judgment and it had just been a case of how do we help but it's difficult to listen to your own advice isn't it when you're in those situations
2: So how did you help other people once you experienced this?
0: It was a mixture of my own experience, but also a couple of cases I'd been involved in as a you know, a HR business partner. And I started to understand how there's a big difference in how people view physical and mental health. And mental health is very excluded from the conversations often that you have around that. So in the same way that if I was doing a diversity and inclusion program, around gender hiring, for example, I really wanted to relook at some of the content we had internally on how we worded health and what we class as health, because ultimately if someone was walking around with a broken leg, you wouldn't sit back and just let them do that, like you would try, try and get them to a hospital. So I think that was one thing, was really looking at, at the wording, because I think you underestimate how much of a tone that sets for employees in their own minds about what they consider health or not. And I can remember one employee who said to me, like, they were actually going to resign because they were struggling with their mental health. But they said, well, I I can't show you that anything's wrong. Like, it's, it's all in my head. There's no physical symptoms. I can't show you that anything's wrong. So how can I prove to you that that's why i need to go off on leave and i I remember thinking my gosh this person thinks that their only way is just to resign and that would have been the worst situation for that person and actually had we made it more clear in our sick leave policies in our private health insurance what help was available maybe that wouldn't have been the case Um, and people don't feel comfortable asking about these things you know you need to make sure that there's a really good library of knowledge there that people can self-educate on and obviously there's tools out there as well but i think Creating that culture where things aren't brushed under the carpet, but there's also a lot of knowledge available on how to go through these processes. You know, when you're already overwhelmed and you're struggling, the thought of having to go through loads of paperwork, layers of approval process, it's too much for someone to deal with. You need to find easy and approachable ways for them to have those conversations and it to be fairly smooth.
2: So Adoliva, how is the culture inside of a company that takes care of mental health?
0: Yeah, I mean, obviously, uh, I guess we have to, to walk the to walk and talk the talk. So um, uh, for me, it kind of started right at the beginning of the process. So when I first met Javi, it was much more of a chance to be, to be honest, to set expectations, to talk about what we really enjoy working, what we don't. So you already have that kind of honest conversation going from the very start, even before you join. But I think the key thing once you join is that we're in an environment where we're not afraid to just stop and ask people how they're feeling. And sometimes everyone's feeling fine. We don't need a problem every week. It's not that we're forcing that out of people, but just to stop and ask, like, how is everyone? Like, how how are you? Like, we're in this world where we go, go, go. And I think that's something that I really love about Oliver, that people take the time to stop and do that. We're a small team right now, so we're very lucky that we can often spend time one-on-one with each other having those conversations. But definitely from... The people who've either been in the company the longest or the leadership team constantly sharing stories, how they're feeling. Maybe they feel a bit of an imposter syndrome one day and they talk about it. Yeah, I went for a walk. I reminded myself of this. And actually, because of what we do, we're so much more acutely aware of everything else. You know, when I first joined a few weeks in, Abby said to me, well, oh, I feel like you've got a bit of imposter syndrome coming but you know coming back and I was like your nail on the head like it was exactly how I was feeling it was really like methodical around okay well let's just take a look at a few things just to remind you like this is what you can do this is what you've done before and so I think that that approach to really not being afraid to to call it out and say like hey I think it seems like you're feeling this way is there something wrong there and also allowing the team to, to have the time to do that. And we celebrate when people decide, yeah, you know what, I'm going to try therapy for the first time if they haven't already, or if they try and they find another way to get help. You know, there's there's lots of different ways and lots of different styles out there. But it's just so much more a part of the conversation. And I feel so lucky to be somewhere where that has as much a seat as the table at any other issue an employee might go through. And, and yeah, those, those health checks are, are sometimes the most simple things.
2: You were saying before that after three months recuperating. You came back to work to Oliva and you're saying that you are sharing yeah, i um yeah, I'm fine and Javi called you out saying, well, the imposter syndrome. How did you receive that? And what did you do after realizing that, yeah, perhaps that
0: that could be you? I think one thing I realized is that it just helped build that trust between me and Javi of knowing that I can I can say these things and it's not gonna met with any kind of like unknown of how to deal with it it's always an open discussion but also one thing have you done before that is share shared to me like times when he'd felt like that and so then it kind of opens that thing of like this isn't just you you're not the one with the problem like this is something that there's someone who who I'm inspired by also has this and has had this in the past and so I think yeah then it brings that
2: I, I just wanted to ask you like perhaps we can take a step back and can you explain what was for you to have imposter syndrome I think it was just
0: a little bit overwhelming going from not working for three months and not having any responsibilities other than walking the dock and going to the beach to, to then be in an environment where I really felt accountable I knew I wanted to deliver I knew what we were doing was meaningful and it meant a lot to me being in such a mission-based company and so I think that imposter syndrome came in of like have I done this before was I able to do this before and I really had to kind of sit back and think about all the things that I'd faced in the last couple of years where I'd either felt like that before and got through them and um, and also like the achievements that I'd had with my previous team you know there was so much good yeah there, there was uh, some some rocky bits you know in there but there was so many amazing things that happened that that you can reflect back on and sometimes you don't think and stop about those things. And then it was like, okay, now how can I make an impact? How can I make sure that I'm affecting the employees' lives in a positive way, that um, the job's being done to to what I know I can do? And also the pressure of making sure I didn't get back in the situation I got last time. That was a huge part of it. It's making sure I had boundaries in place and, and respecting those boundaries.
2: Yeah, and imposter syndrome and burnout, they are super friends, right? You think you need to prove yourself all the time so you overwork because you're not self-confident and then burnout comes and it's like a vicious cycle, right? So what specific things did you do or do you do to boost that self-confidence?
0: I'm a really big fan of guided self-help, so I'm lucky enough that one of my closest friends works in a charity uh, in the UK and also has done a a course herself. So um, whenever I was going through that, she had a lot of tools I could use. And I I like feeling proactive about when I have something that I know isn't quite right. So for me, it was really setting up good routines and, and monitoring the content that I was feeding to myself so making sure that I started my day with something that that, that gave me that confidence but to also talk about it you know I, I say to Javi now like instantly when I chat to when I one to once you know I'll just say how it is straight away if I'm feeling like that or if I'm feeling like something's not going so well or if I feel like I haven't quite had as much focus as i would like that week.
2: Many times when someone just joins a company they are in this like period that you were referring before right you're ramping up and if someone comes after three months not working and with this low self confidence, perhaps one without knowing or without taking the time to reflect how the other person might be feeling, they might be thinking, like, oh, they are not performing as I thought they would. And then you can actually feed that low self confidence, or you can take the time, actually ask, get to the root, and then actually help the other person to grow and 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 to be more comfortable and have more self-esteem and it's a win-win but it's only about it's it's only a matter of taking the time being able to see the person you have in front and asking questions like you were
0: saying yeah yeah definitely and I think that's uh, the thing uh, as much as it can feel uncomfortable or not you know, maybe not yourself, depending on who you are, to like share. If you can share a little bit about journeys you've been on before or things like that, people, you know, whoever, Javi is my manager or your leader can can really then help you. Like it's it's only going to help yourself people are receptive to making sure they then stay in tune with that it doesn't become the thing that defines you and it's not like old oh, bridey imposter syndrome it's just something that exactly. then someone can can keep a check on and yeah. and again i think that just comes down to the destigmatization and making sure that everyone understands that that we all have mental health everyone has mental health um and therefore it's it's absolutely nothing to be ashamed of to say hey yeah, not feeling quite right this week or, or, or actually being pretty stressed about this and um, definitely people and if you're in an environment where, where that's not not received then I, you know I, I'm definitely fine where it is because it makes a huge difference to to your life to your professional life but also to then you being able to kind of stay in control of that as well
2: yeah one thing I would add to all this is that you also need to train people to be ready for those answers because you can ask things and then you not being prepared to deal with that and that can be perhaps more harmful so it's very important to train like you were saying you were hrvp and you were handling cases that you were not prepared for so what would you say were the skills or trainings or i don't know how to call it that you would wish you had before handling those cases that were difficult for
0: you I think the the most important training that I've done since then is learning the boundaries and what you can handle and what you immediately need to, to refer on to someone else or seek help for. I think one of the most difficult things when you're in a HR position is that you have built this trust with employees and there's a certain amount of expected confidentiality there which you want to respect. But I think one of the most important things to teach, especially HR teams and people teams is when that boundary can be crossed in order to protect someone's mental health getting worse. And it's a really difficult internal battle to have because you feel a connection to, to whoever you're talking to, but it's really important to understand when you need to take it off off your hands and give it to someone else because you are just not the right person to deal with it. It doesn't necessarily mean you need to you know hand it off, but just so you know how to deal with it um, and build it up.
2: Yeah, I, I think it's a great observation. Yeah, many people put a lot of focus on giving advice and coaching and actually one of the main basic things is know when to say well I need to ask help to yeah and we all have our
0: own biases you know of how we'd want like you said, cultural differences, biases, and how we would want things to to be dealt with. And, and sometimes even, you know, I've been in situations where I've had a case and I've gone to seek help, but I can tell there's also the person who I've gone to seek help from has a bias because they are within the company as well. So for me, that that external professional help where they can come in and, and train your leaders, your HR team, your people team, but also they can be there for those cases. You know, you need to have that connection in the same way that, you know, if you had some kind of like financial advisor externally
2: you need to have a mental health advisor externally Righty it was a pleasure to have you here thank you so much for sharing oh thank you no it's been lovely chatting with you thank
0: you so much
1: this episode of mental health at work was hosted by maite otero produced by billy cragan and brought to you by Oliver proper mental health support for the whole team thanks to bridie for fulfilling her contractual obligation to appear on the podcast if you're a fan of the podcast you can like or subscribe to mental health at work in all the usual places and if you really want to help us beat the podcast search engine algorithms you can also leave us a review on apple or spotify preferably a positive one thanks for listening and we'll see you next time